Howdy folks, this is Basic Business Advice. This morning, I'm with Ken Hostetler, the partner at Equus, Jordan Stoltzfoots, directing market at Equus and CEO of Black Box, myself, and Jake Calhoun, director of product marketing at Provia. So Jake, thanks for joining us this morning. Jake just uh, started uh, us off this morning here at Rice Spaces with a great mastermind class. Appreciated that. Talked about uh, questions you ask to foster conversations, Jake. That was really awesome. And that'll be on YouTube here coming up pretty soon. So in case folks want to see about that. But Jordan, why don't you kick us off this morning? Yeah, well, we've already had requests for uh, the links for your mastermind. So I can tell you, you're popular. I had somebody text me this morning, ask you, okay. ask me for the link. So so I, I've been charged with doing a little research here, a little, little background. So looking at your LinkedIn page, you worked at Hormel Foods for about six years, on to Smuckers for a little over 10 years, and now at Provia. So that's a pretty wide variety going from food now to building products. But those, those two companies, Hormel and, and Smucker, are like household names in the United States. So I'm curious to hear about that journey, how you went from one to the next and then now Provia. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting that uh, uh, a lot of times I think when you're, you're starting your career and looking at where you want to work, the first question is what are you going to do? But I think about uh, when I came to each of those companies, a lot of it was about who the company was, what their culture was, what, what it would be like to work there. Um, just a fun story about when I interviewed with with Hormel. I was in college, and uh, they actually brought me up to Minnesota. That's where their corporate office is at, and uh, and interviewed with them. And I remember when I when I pulled up to the they had a guard shack to kind of get into the the mm-hmm. corporate office. When I pulled up there, the guy said, "Oh, hey, Jake, you you must be Jake. Welcome welcome to Hormel. You know, you're, you're here for your interview." And I thought that's really strange. I've never had that happen before. <laughs> and I, that moment sticks with you. You know, little things that they do that represent, you know, who they are yeah. and who their culture is. And so not just Hormel, but, you know, as I talked with Smuckers, I talked with Provia, it's all about who they are and, and who they want to be um, from a culture perspective. It's just so, so important. Interesting. Yeah. Was, that's awesome. It's, yeah, I appreciate that because you put up Provia's mission statement this morning and I don't want to try and butcher it. Can you say that off the top of your head? Yeah. To serve. Our mission is to uh, serve by caring for details that others won't. And that is, that stuck out the details mm-hmm. and nobody that is so important when making that impression. Mm-hmm. And obviously in marketing and pushing products, it is about the details. Mm-hmm. It's not just, Hey, I'm going to slap a poster up there. How do you approach that? What's your philosophy on marketing? Yeah. Yeah. And like within that too, one thing we talked a little bit about this morning was uh, I've been fascinated by, by Provia that it's not just about the, the product mm-hmm. when they, when they think about serving too. All of the other roles that I think I've served uh, served in at Hormel or, or Smucker over the years, it's it's focused way more on the peanut butter or the Hormel chili mm-hmm. or the salsa in the in the jar. Uh, but at Provia, our product isn't just doors and windows. It's finding ways that we can serve our customers that have nothing to do with the product. It's how do we offer great IT solutions? How do we serve them better from a customer service perspective? How do we help them have a smoother installation? It's just generally looking for problems that they're having and, and running towards those to serve to serve them better. And I think uh, you go through shifts like that within your career, and you, you learn a lot from that. And that's been a huge one for me, uh, even in the year and a half that I've been at Provia, is just understanding that better and and recognizing these aren't just uh, annoying problems that you 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 <laughs> think about and have to deal with. It's like these are actually solutions that you need to be offering your customers, and there's a ton of value there to offer them too. Well, it is as a person who does 
and thinks he's okay at doing a lot of self projects instead of hiring them out. I appreciate when something is simpler because <laughs> I'm usually not as good as I think I am when I get start off to do something. But sure. when you approach marketing then, and now as the director of product marketing, how do you approach that concept? Cause you talked a little bit this morning and I'm going to refer again back to the mastermind that folks can catch on YouTube about looking at advertising mm -hmm. and you showed an ad that you guys approached at first mm -hmm. that you just weren't happy with yeah. and then how you shifted that. How, how do you approach that process? Right. Right. I think when you sit down and, and look at the ad, um, there's kind of the after effect of what, what's right in front of me. Is this message clear? But one of the most important questions I think you can ask is, is this about us or is it about the audience? Is it, is mm -hmm. it about them? Are you actually talking about a problem that you're solving for the people that you're, you're serving? And that ad that you mentioned when we looked at that ad, one of the things that we, we really recognized was we could focus way more on how we're solving a problem for our audience and put ourselves in, in their shoes uh, versus focusing on what we developed and what we're doing or what we what we did internally. Let's talk in their terms. Let's put them put ourselves in, in their shoes. Yeah. Yeah. That's like classic yeah. Donald Miller story oh, yeah. brand. Is that is that where yeah. you pulled that from? Yeah. Yeah. I like That's to say I was, I was reading Donald Miller before he was cool. Yeah. Before he was doing business. Yeah. And uh I actually loved his his books. Yeah, just reading his books because he's such a good writer, such a good author. And then when he got into the business space, uh, actually had a conversation after the after the mastermind this morning just about how it's it's simplicity and it's focusing on the other person. So whether that's advertising or just in day day to day conversations that we have, that's how you have good conversations. That's right. how you make good connections. Uh, whether it's a marketing piece with the audience or just you know, you and I catching up on the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Kent, you were going to jump in there with something. Yeah. So I, I want to go deeper than just the marketing part for a minute. You know, I think something that we struggle with and probably a lot of businesses struggle with is figuring out what product you should be offering to the market. Right. So we have legal services, but, um, it goes, it goes beyond that. And so we are trying to figure out, okay, do we need to have focus groups? Do we need to look at the competition? Like, what should we be developing ourselves? What what new ideas should we be bringing? So in your experience, how, how have you guys kind of approached that in what products you're bringing to the market? Yeah, that's a great, great, uh, uh, great question. And, and really the problem in any business that you're in is how do you listen? How do you watch for watch into the future? Um, certainly coming from, from companies like Hormel or Smucker, you're in packaged goods. It's a really competitive space. There's all sorts of fancy research you can do, money you can spend on concept tests, the concept test to understand that better focus groups you can have. But I think one of the transitions that we've been through in product development has been, there's a ton of information out there where you don't need to do that, that research. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the most productive uh, new product launches that I was ever a part of, we did, uh, we called it social listening, but it's just taking uh, the social conver conversation around the product that we were in. At that time, it was uh, natural and organic juices. And just listening for what's changing, you know, what's what's new out there, and uh, what we saw was <laughs> it beet juice. Yes, beet beet juice <laughs> was right. getting a ton of conversation nice. in the workout community, and we're like, what's <laughs> going on here? And that wasn't yeah. part of a concept test or any fancy research we did. It was just listening to the social conversation, and uh, like I said, um, it took took the risk based on that. Uh, came out with the product and. It's, it's really successful. Was that like three or four years ago? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Now that you say that, that kind of took off in, in the CrossFit space too. Everybody was coming with these beetroot, whatever stuff mm -hmm. and out of nowhere. So that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's cool. Which I, th I think is like you said, it's, it doesn't take lots of dollars to, uh, to get to the point where you can understand where to go, you know, with product development. 
um, the ease of access for a small company now um, who's just getting started, you can be on that, that front end as well. Yeah. So the thing that's interesting to me about that is, you know, you can take that and you hear that conversationally, but it's hard to back that up with data. And typically bigger corporations like to have data to make decisions. Mm-hmm. How do you sell something like that to whoever you need to, to make it go through without actual data supporting that? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. And there, there is some ways to make that into data or to turn social conversation, look at the number of mentions or number of engagement. Sure. Uh, but a lot of times what we found is let's just test it out. Rather than going, let's do a big national launch on this one. Why don't we find one retailer who's willing to take a risk with us on, uh, on trying a new new product? Right. Let's let's carve out one section of the plan over here, and we're just going to make this in small mm-hmm. batches. Uh, and I think that reflects not only the way that that we thought, uh, but also the thing that I would worry about when it comes to competitors is I was a little less worried about the big behemoths of competitors mm-hmm. and way more worried of the person who's making it in this corner of their garage who yeah, might come out with something sure. who's really, uh, really scrappy and innovative. So that shift on the competitive side too was, a uh, it was big. Interesting. Yeah. I think you brought up something that I think is such an important part of the conversation is you mentioned listening to other conversations. And one of the things that's obviously changed a, a lot is, mm-hmm. is social media. So can you talk about how that shift has been and like how that's changing what you guys are doing? Yeah. Uh, aside from just, budget and where we spend our dollars. Um, it's, it's how people are connecting with your brand. You know, I think about traditional advertising, which still plays a role in it, but uh, social media is much bigger part of, of what we do every day. And the thing I like about that more is if you look at something more traditional, like a TV ad or a print ad, your relationship with that communication is, is transactional. It's okay. I see it. Maybe I take the message in and then hopefully I do something with it. Within social, it's a conversation. And we can, from a conversation, you can build a relationship. You can build way more of a brand perception, a brand equity through that conversation too. So it's more like a personal relationship that we have every day than just a, a billboard that you see when you're driving down the road. That's awesome. I think it's a huge, huge opportunity for marketers. Yeah. So I have a question, Jake. You've been doing marketing since mid-2000s. Mm-hmm. Why this path? Why this path for you? Let's get into you a little bit. What is it about this that makes you go, I want to wake up and do this every day? It's a great question. Um, I, I I think back to um, you know, when I was in college and, and all of us go through uh, kind of the journey of what do we want to do? And and for me, uh, that involved several, uh, several transitions from more actually the agricultural science world to... Mm-hmm. Uh, I started in sales in LA um, and, and then refining what part of that do I actually really enjoy? We talked about clarifying purpose this morning in in the mastermind. What do I want to do? What am I really good at? What do people, other people say that I'm good at Um, all led me down the path of this, this whole space within marketing of being able to develop new products, walk into a grocery store and see something on the shelf Mm. that you and your team were able to develop uh, be able to introduce a new product and serve customers well. I, I, there's something about the feedback loop there of being able to see all of those things come to life that has always just driven me. And um, I think it's that per, that pursuit that makes me wake up every day and and, and, uh, and really enjoy that. That's awesome. So I, I want to go a, a slightly different route because I want to ask you a philosophical idea about marketing because sometimes the marketing branch can get a bad reputation. You spend money, where's the ROI? You spend money, where's the ROI? And when we're talking to a lot of small business owners, 
marketing and advertising is an unknown mm-hmm. to them. And they treat it like it's an unknowable. Mm-hmm. They put money mm-hmm. in and hope people come out, mm-hmm. help customers, hope people come out. Is that an accurate perception mm. or is marketing and branding a knowable, controllable, influenceable area? Mm. Um, that has been a massive, massive change in, in 16, 17 years that I've, I've been in marketing. The, the traditional way to look at that is invest in this and trust us. It's working, <laughs> right? <laughs> invest in us and trust us. It's working. And now it feels like I talk with my team every day of we can measure this if we want to, right? Um, example I shared, we've got an advertisement now. There's a QR code on there. We can understand how many people are actually scanning that QR code. Once they go to the website, we can understand the, the path that they're on so that we can make sure that we're giving them the resources that they need, whether that's a tool to visualize their house, to see how it would look with our windows and doors, or understanding where they can buy that, connecting them with the retailer. The transition that's been made and uh, the digital ability to look at that entire journey from start to finish helps us as, as marketers. And I think you kind of alluded to a point there, there there's boundaries that we have to talk about every day mm-hmm. uh, and that as well. Um, but us being able to measure and understand that has been this massive shift that has been uh, super helpful to all of us as marketers. So we've got people who listen to this, that they're one man teams or one woman teams. What is your advice to them? Because you studied this. Mm-hmm. You've got a decade and a half under your belt mm-hmm. of doing this. Mm-hmm. They didn't start their business to be a marketer mm-hmm. or a brand expert mm-hmm. and measure these things and figure all this stuff out. But they do want to get their product out. They want it to go out there. Should they just find somebody to trust that it's going to come out? Or is there something that they should be doing mm-hmm. to influence how they're getting this stuff to market? Yeah. I think whether you're whether you're working with someone or whether you're trying to do it yourself, it's starting small and changing fast. Right? It's this idea of you don't have to get it perfect to start with. Um, and another big change, you know, in the, in the time that I've, I've been in marketing is we used to spend so much time getting the image right, getting the picture right, getting the ad right. Okay, now it's perfect. We're ready to spend the money to actually get this out <laughs> to the market. To one of my favorite books is the Startup Way. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've ever had a chance to to read that. But in that book, he talks about this philosophy of just start something, start small, mm-hmm. spend a little bit of money, but learn quickly from that. The The waste really comes from if you're, if you're not watching that, if you're not understanding how that's working and then shifting and changing based on what you learn from that, um, that's where you, you lose value. Yeah. That's the, I think the sunk cost theory mm-hmm. starts to catch up with people. Mm-hmm. Well, if I keep going in this direction, even though it's not working, mm-hmm. it'll break through. Yeah. If I keep trying this, even though it's not showing an ROI, it'll break through and I'll make something off of this at some point in time. And I think that is a trap. And I love what you just said. I call it fail fast. Yeah. Yep. You know, get in there, figure it out. If it's not working, fail, learn from it, move on to the next thing right. and refine that target. Cause I, the reality of it is, is we all want as business owners, the product to be in front of the people who need it. Right. It's just hard to figure that component of it out when what you're really good at is just making the product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I would compare and contrast what's happening in a small business to what's happening in a larger company. What larger companies are coming from is we would go through an annual planning process of here's the plan that we want to execute for the entire next 12 to 18 months. And they're just now 
over the last couple of years getting in the mentality of, well, maybe set it and forget it doesn't work. Mm. Maybe we need to be a little bit more agile to that. Mm-hmm. I think about the gap between a small business owner to be able to say, I'm going to invest dollars this week and the next week, if it's not working, I'm going to move over here or say, if it's working, I'm going to double down on that versus that mindset of set it and forget it, which um, scale is great, but you also have to keep agility in mind. Um, but for a small business owner, I would keep agility in mind as one of the, the key differences you can have for somebody versus a, a brand that's established or another organization that's established. One of the, your conversational points, and we're going to plug this mastermind on YouTube so people can see this because <laughs> you said so much great stuff, was about those conversations and leaning in to building those relationships and building a network of people, whether it's on a personal level, you talked about for a church relationship that you ended up leaning into mm-hmm. out of just risk. Mm-hmm. And it's ended up being a great thing to professional ones. What is your advice to people who feel nervous about sharing mm-hmm. and inviting themselves in to conversations and risking in that way when they're trying to build their network? Yeah. I, I think the fear and the nervousness comes from from yourself, but look at the, look at the other person's perspective. So you're asking someone who's got 25 years, 30 years of experience in an industry. Maybe they've been a place there where you haven't been, maybe they're on a career path. Maybe they've raised kids and your kids are one, two years old. You need to learn from them from their perspective. uh, They know all the pain points they've been there. They've done that. And every single person uh, that I can think of that I ask for advice or, Hey, let's grab coffee. Can I pick your brain about where you've been has said, yeah, absolutely. I'd love for you to be able to avoid the mistakes that I made. (laughs) Right. So when you think about it from that person's perspective and what they, they want to share, I don't think that comes from a sense of pride, but they want to help other people avoid some of the the pitfalls and, and steer them in the right direction for the places that that they've been. That's awesome. Ken, Jordan, you guys have any follow-up questions? Uh, I do. I'm going to sound like a broken record and Jordan's going to laugh at me because I'm going to show my age and just ask a really uh, ignorant question. So I want to understand, understand a lot of companies are sending free products and, and those types of things to influencers and going back to the social media thing and that type of thing. But for a company like Provia, what does that look like? Do you guys put uh, products out there in certain situations where you're giving away things, you're trying to create conversations around things? Or is that something that a company like like a construction or a manufacturing company like you guys don't really get into? I would say not not quite yet. Uh, most of our model at, at Provia has been to and through our, our dealers. Um, we've got a great network of dealers that we work through that, that sell our, our products. Um, we haven't gotten in a huge way into consumer advertising yet. And I think that's where most of that would take place when you're talking about mm-hmm. influencers. Certainly there's other brands that, um, that uh, are in our industry that are active in that, but... Uh, we haven't quite made that that transition yet. I'll tell you from previous experience in kind of the packaged foods world, there's a lot of that that happens uh, when you get into social media and influencer. But uh, one of the questions you asked on uh, on uh, how do you measure that? Can you measure that? Should you measure that? Yes, yes, and yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's not just a uh, trust me, I'm an influencer and I have a great reach. It's there's now there's now great ways that uh, um, that you can measure that, and I think it comes back to. Uh, accountability is fair for both for both sides, right? Mm-hmm. And if you set expectations up front of what you expect, and they 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 have a, an expectation of what they're going to provide for you, it's it's a business transaction, and that's the way that you need to approach it. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks. So one of the things Jordan and I have talked about a couple of different times, obviously with his focus in marketing, is the difference between brand awareness and conversion. Mm-hmm. You know, those are two different kinds of marketing. 
you've been on both sides, it sounds like, mm-hmm. where you're trying to make the brand just aware in the market that people are there generally, and then convert these people into buyers. Do you have any insights on a, cause brand awareness is easy. I put out a picture on Instagram, I throw out an ad, you know, whatever I can just put it out there and it doesn't have to convert. The goal is this, they're aware versus if I'm going to risk on converting, I risk failing. Mm-hmm. I risk that measurement coming back and going, this isn't working. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for somebody who's looking to move from brand awareness to a conversion based model? Yeah. I think the first step would be where are you at on the awareness journey? I've worked on some brands that were, nearly in every single household and you look at a, a GIF or a Folgers mm-hmm. and most, most people have uh, some level of experience with that brand. So awareness is very high. Uh, so in those, those cases, maybe you're worried about awareness of a new product or something specific that you're working on, but most of your emphasis is put on let's, let's, let's convert. Um, for a brand like Provia, you know, we're, we're a growing brand, a growing mm-hmm. company. Awareness is much more top of mind. Like I mentioned earlier, we're, we're just getting into the consumer side of things now. And so awareness is something that we're going to spend more focus on. And so it's that, that first of all, the assessment of where's the balance, how much do we need to spend on awareness versus conversion. Um, on the conversion side, it, it, it comes down to just make it easy. Map out your journey. And I think sometimes we, we're guilty of looking that, at that that customer journey as linear of, well, first they'll search online for, I want to buy windows and next they'll do this and then they'll do this. And then eventually right. they'll go into a showroom and they'll purchase. I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago and somebody described it as a playground. Uh, I thought that was a great analogy of the buyer journey. The consumer journey is a playground that they come in and out of and they're in different spaces. And so you need to map that out and understand what are they thinking in different, uh, different places throughout that journey. And then ask yourself, um, how do you how do you convert it each of those those different different spaces? And the great news again on that is uh, you can measure it, mm-hmm. you can test and learn. It's your fail fast. Right? Yeah, that's awesome. It's risky. Mm-hmm. It's risky. Well, Jake, this was awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, folks who are listening, probably by the time this is go live, your mastermind should be on YouTube. And so they can chime in and do that. You're at Provia now. Mm-hmm. And uh, if anybody has any questions, could they find you on social? Yeah, absolutely. LinkedIn, um, Instagram, Real Jake Calhoun 17, uh, Jake Calhoun, Provia on, on LinkedIn. Great place to, to search and uh, I'd love to connect. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, on behalf of Ken and Jordan and Jake, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks. That was really great, man. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah.